chapter 3. So turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 3 as we continue our study through the, the book of Joshua. Let's pray together. Fathers, we open up our Bibles where we're thankful that you've communicated to us through your word and through your son and through creation. We thank you that you're gracious and you're merciful and compassionate. and You're upon your throne. That you, Jesus, are going to return and rule and reign. We know that our lives are short in comparison to, reality, to eternity. We just want our lives to be lived to the fullest. So, Father, would you do your work in this service? Would you send your spirit to lead us and guide us in truth? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Defining moment, a defining moment. There's many of them as you go through life. If you do any kind of project around your house, you know what the defining moment is. Yesterday, I had to put back in a toilet in our bathroom. I'd taken it out, and now it was time to put it back in. You get the wax ring, and you put it underneath there, and you're hoping for a good seal, right? And you hook up the plumbing, and there's the defining moment. There's the moment of truth. So I turned on the water, and praise the Lord, everything worked, you know? It's not always the case. If you're an artist and you're doing a painting, there's that defining moment when you can see it starting to come together and you realize, ah, I've got it. Married couples, you might want to just nudge your spouse to remind them that you are married this morning. Just go ahead and do it. Give them a little nudge, nudge there. Remember that defining moment in your relationship where you realize like something's happening. Something special is taking, taking place here. This is more than a friendship and you are defined and you're moving towards something. And then there was probably some dating relationships that you had prior to your spouse where there was also a defining moment that that person was not so special, right? And you moved on. You moved on with, with your life. The great athletes that go down in history had defining moments. Uh, we look back and we say they hit the home run in the ninth inning. They, they won the winning shot. They caught the, the touchdown. And for the nation of Israel, they're at the water's edge of the Jordan. They're about ready to step into the promised land for the first time. And this is a defining moment. It's going to define them. And they're going to understand that the living God is among them. Up until this point, we've seen and we've understood that Moses is dead, that he's passed away. There's a new leader, Joshua. Joshua's called and commissioned by God. God says, be strong and very courageous. Meditate upon the word day and night so that you can observe the word and do it and be successful in the things that I've called you to. Joshua chooses to take 72 hours for the children of Israel to wait before they cross over into the promised land. What happened in those 72 hours? Anybody remember? The spies were sent in. The two spies, they come to Rahab the harlot's house and her life is transformed. God had been preparing her heart, but they were also encouraged in understanding and knowing this, that God was at work. The Canaanites' hearts were already faint-hearted and melted. And that's where we come into chapter 3. And that you can't even begin to put into words how significant this is for the children of Israel. And this is why. Because it goes back to Abraham. 400 years prior to Abraham, God said, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Generation after generation of Israelites, 
die in Egypt as slaves. Their parents died in the wilderness through unbelief, and now all of a sudden there's this new generation under this new leader, Joshua, that's going to step into the promised land. They're going to take the feet and put it right into the Jordan River. They're going to walk across with their family. And for us, we're at the water's edge as well. God has promises that are in his word. There's giants in our lives, struggles and sin that we go through. And as we choose to walk in faith and follow his leading, God will bring about great victories in our life. So chapter 3, verse 1 of Joshua. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Achaia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all of the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. I'm sure Joshua had a difficult night of sleep prior to this, don't you think? When you come to these kind of moments in your life, and you know this is going to be a big day, it's hard to sleep. Joshua chooses to get up early, and I imagine that he's praying, that he's seeking the Lord, asking for wisdom, asking for God to give him faith and take away his fear. There's something special about seeking God in the morning. There's just something about the morning, and you're like, no, there's not, you know? The only thing good about the morning is sleeping, right? But when we do get up, it's so quiet and it's still and the, the birds are, are chirping and singing, especially this time of year. And the greater than Joshua, Jesus would often get up early in the morning before the sun had risen to seek the heart of his father. Joshua rises early and they come and they lodge right at the Jordan. And we'll discover as we read this chapter that the Jordan River is flooded, that it's overflowing its banks. And so they're witnessing this and wondering how in the world are we going to cross over the Jordan River? God hasn't given the plan yet. He hasn't told the multitude of how they're going to cross over. That's oftentimes how God does in our lives. He calls us to steps of faith. We get to the Jordan. We get to that difficulty And God hasn't yet revealed how he's going to bring about the victory. So in verse 2, So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, Notice that once again they take leadership and they command the people with this. They say, It's time for us to go. They don't take suggestions. They don't say, Why don't you all get on your Twitter accounts and just let us know how you're feeling about going over the Jordan River. If you have some ideas of how we could cross over, just go ahead and post it on Facebook. That's not what happened. They said, it's time for us to go. We're going to cross over the Jordan River. And they command the people with this. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. If we were putting together a plan of leading God's people into the promised land, we would probably say, let's take the warriors. Let's take the strong, skilled fighters and let's put them in the front. And then let's take the engineers, the the great thinkers, the strategists, and they're going to be giving the strategy to the warriors. And then let's take the wimpy priests and let's put them in the back. I mean, all those guys do is sing, right? So that, that makes the most sense. We'll let them go in the back. But what does God say? He says, I want the priests, the Levites, who their lives were set apart for worship to take the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to be the ones who lead the way. The Ark of the Covenant, it represents the presence of God. 
The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and the place in the tabernacle, that's where God chose to put his presence. Not that God's limited to a box, but this was a special piece of furniture to God's people. And these leaders, these spiritual leaders, these worshipers are bearing God's presence upon their shoulders. And this struck me that this is what spiritual leadership is is to be in God's presence, in a sense to have God's presence on our shoulders. And then simply by coming into the room, we're bringing people into God's presence. So you're practicing the presence of God. We're fellowshipping with Jesus in our hearts. We come into the workplace and all of a sudden there's something different about us because we're in the presence of God. We go home and spend time with our families and we're in God's presence, we realize that Christ is with us, and all of a sudden, our children are being led into the presence of God. But let's be honest, it's a little bit easier to know that we're in God's presence when people are getting baptized, and we're worshiping, and we're singing how great that God is. And then we leave this place, and we drive like God is not among us, right? That he's not with us. We, we kind of put our feet up with our families and we're comfortable with our families, which is good. But if I really believe that Christ was with me and his presence was, was, was with me, that would affect the way that I speak to my kids. That would sure help me in those kind of situations, wouldn't it? And so it's starting to understand that, hey, God is with me and his presence is with me everywhere that I go. But that's really spiritual leadership, is understanding and carrying God's presence. So as the priests and the Levites are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, then the children of Israel, all they had to do is watch the Ark and follow the Ark, go after the Ark. And and we're to go after the presence of God to be able to enter into the things that God has called us to. So how would they transport the Ark? If you fast forward in the Old Testament, David made a mistake, didn't he? He made a faux pas when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem as he transported it the same way as the Philistines and took the Ark and put it on a cart. Now that would make a lot more sense and be easier, be quicker. But that wasn't how God had subscribed for the Ark to be carried. The priests were to take the Ark and there was these rings that were on the side of the Ark and they put the poles through the ark. So no hands are touching the ark. That's how revered God's presence was. And you take the poles and put it on your shoulder, and now you're going into the promised land. So for us, as we apply this to our lives, is where is God's presence leading us? We just follow God's presence. This is really comforting uh, to me this morning, because we don't take ourselves into God's promises. It's not that we're going to enter into what he has for us by trying harder. We're going to enter into what he has for us by being in the presence of Jesus and following where Jesus is leading us. Jesus didn't say, here's the way. Good luck. Go for it. He said, I'm the way. Now, if you guys could help me out just a little bit, I'm curious. So participate with me. How many of you guys have put together Ikea furniture? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. So maybe, maybe, anybody else that's just not wanting to participate? <laughs> so about maybe 10% of you have put together Ikea furniture. How many of you have seen their store there in South Denver? The big store there off the freeway? The rest of you don't go to Denver? Don't ever go up there? So the next time you go to Denver, there's this big, huge store. You can't miss it. It says I-K-E-A, Ikea, right? And it is the most frustrating place on the planet. Why? 
because you buy your furniture and you got to put it together. You buy a cabinet and you got to put it together. They got cool stuff and all this kind of things. But then you open it up and there's like 59 steps in Swedish. They're a European company. Like, and it's pictures instead of, oh man. And finally you get through it and you realize I've got leftover parts. Oh, you know, what am I going to do with, with all this stuff? And see, that's not the Christian life. That's not what's taking place here with Joshua and the children of Israel. God's not saying, here's 59 steps, follow them perfectly, and you can enter into the promises of God. Jesus is the way. You believe in Jesus. You abide in Jesus. You hold on to Jesus. You follow Jesus. You walk with him, and he takes you into the promises of God. So for us in our lives this morning, God's on the move. God's doing something. So we identify what God's doing, and we follow his presence. Go after the presence of God. In verse 4, Yet there shall be space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you've not passed this way before. And this makes sense, right? If this giant multitude just presses in on the Ark of the Covenant, nobody's going to be able to see it to know where to go. So they're to stay back. And as they're keeping their distance, then they follow the Ark of the Covenant and God says something significant. He says, you've never passed this way before. God wants us to enter into new territory. He wants to take us deeper in Him. Not departing from Scripture. And this is something that we've got to be clear in. Sometimes people, when they're talking about entering into new things that God has for us, they leave out Scripture. And God's never going to change His mind His truth is truth and will always be truth. Agreed? It's been said this way, that methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. The method of how God is moving and working will change, but the message won't change. But God is taking them to a place that they've never been before, so they have to keep their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Sometimes we get into a rut from a routine. And that then leads us to death because I'm just plotting my course in my rut and I'm missing what God wants to do. On some churches, you might as well just put it on the front doors, put it right up on the screens that it's never been done this way before, so don't even try it. And we're stuck in tradition. And I'm not talking about moving outside of scripture, but being open to what God is currently doing inside of a church. I have a pastor friend of mine who pastors at a more uh, traditional church and he doesn't use a pulpit, but it's been a fixture at that church that there would be a pulpit. So when he got there, the first thing that he did is he took the pulpit off the stage. (gasps) You know what? The pulpit was back six months later. Why? Because it's tradition. You have a pulpit when you come to church. And so we've got to keep ourselves in that place of saying, am I willing to go into new territory that God has for me, or am I going to get stuck in this place that I've always been? The Jesus movement that took place in the 60s and the 70s, a whole generation was reached for Christ because there was pastors and churches that took steps of faith through the leading of the Holy Spirit to allow drums to be played in church and electric guitars to be played in church. And we don't understand how cross-cultural that was and what a big stretch that was for some churches to allow that to happen. And I've often wondered, what is it for this generation? You know, what if we allowed worship to be in hip-hop and rap? Ah, 
you know, the devil has entered our sanctuary, right? That's what it was like back then in the 60s and the 70s. You know, you can imagine the first electric guitar that was played in church. Some people still hold on to that and they're like, the devil's behind the drums. I like the teaching, but I hate the drums, you know? No, the devil's not behind the drums. God created instruments to be used for his glory. And the Psalms talks about playing loudly unto the Lord. And those are just some examples where we can get stuck in our tradition and not be open to what the thing has. And I'm guilty. I like routine. I tend to get up at the same time every day. I drink coffee the same time every day, about the same amount of coffee every day. When we go out to eat, I get the same thing. I get a hamburger. It doesn't matter if it's an anniversary dinner and we're going out to a nice place. Like, they got a hamburger, you know? Because I like it, right? And so it can be a stretch. It can be a challenge to step out of that routine and go in a way that God hasn't led me before. There's times that I'll go over to the Glen Erie, the, the navigators on the west side of town, and sometimes we'll go as a church staff and spend time in prayer and be in the word there. And being a person of routine, I tend to always do the same walk, the same hike, because I like it, you know? And we went out as a staff a couple weeks ago, and I decided to take another trail. And it was so refreshing because it was a new perspective of the red rocks over there and a new perspective of the castle and the grounds. And maybe you've just kind of been plotting your course and your relationship with the Lord. And it's not bad, but there really hasn't been any new steps of faith. There really hasn't been any new learning. There's, there hasn't been new challenges, not going into to new territory. And it may just be this unwillingness to follow the presence of God. This, this unwillingness to go where the Lord is moving. He desires to take us into new territory, to enter deeper into his presence. I bet we'd all agree that there's more joy in the Lord for us to enter into. That we've probably only entered into a small portion of the joy that God has for us. That there's probably a whole lot more peace for God, from God for us to enter into. There's much more forgiveness that God has a lot more victory over lust and over anger and over covetousness, that God has a greater will and desire on our streets and our apartments and our workplace and our families. You get the idea? But it, it's change. It's, it's I may need to interact with my neighbors a little bit differently. I may need to take a deeper look at the scriptures and choose to be more thankful. God wants to take us into that place of new territory. In verse 5, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God doesn't just want the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. He wants a purified people. He wants a set apart, purified people in the promised land. They're coming in to destroy wicked nations. God doesn't want the children of Israel to be the same as the nations that they're destroying. God wants to use your life. He wants to use us in a way that we can't imagine. But he also desires for our lives to be purified and to be set apart. So what does this word sanctify mean? Sanctify yourself. It means to be set apart for holiness. Where our lives belong to the Lord. And we experience this 
in our homes. We have vessels for honor and vessels for, for dishonor. And bear with me on this because it's kind of a gross and base illustration, but I think you'll get the point. A fork, it serves a purpose inside of your house. Do you ever use the fork to clean the toilet? Absolutely not. How about do you use the fork to go out and pick up the dog poop? You do. Somebody said yes. Oh man, I'm not coming to your house for dinner. Nope. Right? <laughs> that was good. That was, I like that. It has a point, doesn't it? It's set apart for a purpose. And God actually purchased us with his blood. So our life doesn't belong to us anymore. He says, you, you belong to me. Now you're set apart. You're, you're sanctified. And for the children of Israel, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, they're going, you know what? This idol doesn't belong in the promised land. You know, th- this relationship is wrong. I'm in sexual immorality. It doesn't belong in the promised land. This, this attitude of bitterness and anger and hate that I feel towards the family three-tenths down, it doesn't belong in the promised land. I wonder what kind of transformation and change took place in this one evening as Joshua simply comes and says, sanctify yourself. I think that as we look at the world and we look at current events and we look at scripture, we're definitely closer to the rapture of the church than we've ever been before, where God takes believers and in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're caught up to be with the Lord. I don't want to be asleep spiritually if that's going to happen in our lifetime. You with me? I don't want to be caught up in sin and in rebellion to God. I want to be right in the place that the Lord would have me. I want to be in his will and his plan and his agenda. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. What is it that needs to be sanctified in our lives? Is God putting his hand upon anger? Is he putting it upon lust? Is it a relationship? Is it covetousness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it an idol that you know has become more important to the Lord? Sanctify yourself. God doesn't want to just take us into his promises. He also wants to purify us. In verse six, then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. In verse seven, and the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. This is a defining moment for Israel, but it's also a defining moment for Joshua. They're gonna see Joshua as their leader. They had seen God be with Moses, and now they're going to see that God's with Joshua. God's exalting Joshua, not for Joshua's glory, but so that the people can understand that they have a leader that God has chosen. And God has a way of raising up leaders and setting aside other leaders. And wouldn't this be a great thing for all of us that are parents? That God would work in our lives as parents so our kids would go, you know what? God is with mom and dad. I understand that, that they're walking with the Lord and God's hand is upon them. That's the idea here that was taking place for Joshua. In verse eight, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant saying, when you've come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So there's many references throughout this chapter of being at the water's edge. So you can really have your heart go out to these priests that not only are they to carry the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God, but they're going to be the ones who step in first. And we'll see that as we continue in this chapter. 
Verse 9. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. I bet he had an attentive audience. They're about ready to go in the promised land. They want to hear how the Jordan is going to be parted, how God is going to deal with this difficulty that's in front of them. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Parasites and the Adasites. <laughs> They're going to know that the living God's among them. Because God is going to stop the waters of the Jordan, this is going to be their encouragement as they're facing these cities, these people groups, these giants to know we didn't bring ourselves here. God brought us here and God is among us and God is with us. And these Girgashites and Perzites and Hivites, it also points to all of the things that we face in our lives, all of the giants All the things that we go, there can't be victory. I can't have victory over this sin and this struggle. I can't have the courage to be able to share Christ and and love this person. And this is that defining moment where they know that God is with them. This is something I think that we can humbly come before the Lord and ask for, for our church family, and especially for new believers and for our children. Because what happens with the generation of the judges after this generation of Joshua is they didn't know the mighty works of God. They didn't experience God defeating the giants. So they didn't know that the living God was among them. Because I think intellectually, Joshua's generation, they knew God was with them. They could describe it theologically But after this experience, they knew it. They knew that God was with them. The living God, God's not dead, he's alive, and he is among us. And when I was growing up in a Christian family, I could see that God was working in the lives of my parents, but I didn't necessarily know his works in my own life. And it wasn't until I got into adulthood and faced some of my own challenges and cried out to the Lord that I saw God defeat some of my own personal giants. So you may have a a kid in college, you know, maybe he's 25 years old and he's got financial difficulty. That's an opportunity that's ordained by God for that 25-year-old to see God work in his life. And it may not be God's will for you to write him a check. It may be God's will to say, you know what, I'm praying for you and God's going to provide for you because that's going to be part of his story in his life. But you have to take your own steps of faith and see God work, and then you know that the Lord is among you. It's so encouraging to me to see people come to know Christ at our fellowship, to see people get baptized, to step out in something like a revolution, an outreach, and see people who didn't know Christ come to know Christ as their Savior. And we realize, man, the living God is among us. Maybe you're wrestling and wondering about some step of faith. You're at the water's edge, What's the confidence to be able to step out? The living God's among you. The living God has called you to do this. It lines up with the word of God. It bears witness with with the spirit of God. And for some, you may be saying, you know, I just haven't experienced God working in my life. And I want to suggest something to us. For every single person 
that's a believer in Jesus Christ this morning is we've experienced something far greater than even Joshua in this generation at the Jordan. And what is it? It's that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. We're on this side of the cross. So we're saved, forgiven, justified, glorified, all because of the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus gives to us the Spirit of God, which is God. And now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's something that these Old Testament saints never experienced. So when the Holy Spirit comforts you, when you're laying down at night and you can't sleep, that's an amazing gift from the Lord. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we go, man, there's something just not right, and the Holy Spirit won't let go. That's something that's unique to us in the new covenant. And we can go back to that as our stake in the ground that the living God's among us. He's with me, and I can trust that. And I'm going forward because the Spirit of God lives inside of me. In verse 11, Behold, the ark of the Lord of the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. So follow the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 12, Now therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. We'll see their assignment that they're to do next week in chapter 4, those 12 men. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off the waters that come down upstream and they shall stand as a heap. So as we look at this carefully, their soles of their feet were to go in first. Four priests with the Ark of the Covenant. Now imagine you're the two guys in the front and you step in and you're like, ah, nothing happened. Got to step in a little bit further to give room for the other two guys. And when all four had their feet dipped into the Jordan River, then God did something. And please pay attention to this because first the waters were cut off in that God put pause. If you're watching a DVD, you know, you hit pause, you're streaming something online, you, you hit pause. So the water that's coming down is stands still. But then he allowed water to come down and it built up to a huge heap. And this dam that takes place and it's just heaped up where no water comes down and they're able to cross over. It's different than the Red Sea where the Red Sea was parted. God does a unique work that takes place. But notice when it happened, when they stepped in by faith. And if you're writing notes, write, write this down, just jot it down. Put it up here. Step in by faith. We have God's promises, don't we? That are given to us. Things like the life in the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. If we want to experience those in our lives, we can stand at the water's edge and go, oh, wouldn't that be nice? I'd sure like to be a more loving person. I'd like to be more gentle. I'd like to be more kind. Or we can step in, take a step of faith, say, I'm going to act upon what God's word says. And as we do so, then God moves in our lives and he does the supernatural that we can't do on our own. But a lot of times, we want God to work first, then we'll walk. And the first step into the promised land was a step of faith. And for us to enter into God's presence and to walk into God's presence, we can't walk by sight. We have to walk by faith. There's nothing from human intellect that makes sense about this. I'm gonna step into the water and God's gonna do this? Yeah, right. 
It would be an easy place for unbelief. And that's why that first generation couldn't enter in. They didn't have the faith. They didn't trust the Lord. I bet that all Christian couples here today would say, you know what? I want a life-giving, God-glorifying, life-abundant marriage. Guess what? That doesn't just come to you on a platter. Go, here you go. Here's your God-giving, God-glorifying, life-giving marriage. What happens? You take steps of faith that line up with the word of God. If husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Read, study Ephesians 5 and put it into action and say, okay, this is what it looks like for me to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I can't do that on my own, but I'm going to step out into that. And God does something supernatural. We read of what Jesus has commissioned us to, to go and make disciples. And that's not just pastors and people that work at nonprofit organizations. It's every believer. And so we can sit back on the water's edge and go, God, would you bring me somebody? And that's not a bad prayer. But then also to take a step of faith and to step out and love the people that God has put in our lives and share the gospel, which is that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. As God looks and sees Colorado Springs this morning, you know who his heart breaks for? The couple that's in this apartment complex right behind us, that right now while we're worshiping and we're having church, they're screaming and yelling and cussing at each other, and the husband's beginning to beat his wife, and Jesus loves them. He died for them, has a a better life for them, eternal life, and he's looking for believers that won't just sit comfortable in sanctuaries, but have a heart to go to those that are lost and dying. God sees the person that's in Briargate this morning, that's got a pistol to their head, that's contemplating suicide. They're going to pull the trigger, and his spirit's pleading with them, and God's wanting to send people into their life to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Suicide's huge in our community. I read a study that in the military, there's one person that's committing suicide every hour. There's more that are being killed through suicide than died in Afghanistan and Iraq. We're a military community. We have a whole lot of warriors that have gone and fought battles for us and have moved back to this community and are hurting and are going through things. And God wants those that are going to step out in faith and say, you know, this is bigger than me but it's not bigger than Jesus. And I'm going to love them and I'm going to point them to Jesus Christ. But it takes steps of faith. It takes us to, to step out. And these priests had to put their feet into the water before God did the miracle. In verse 14, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So this lesson on spiritual leadership, we carry, we bear, we're in the presence of God, we follow the presence of God, but also we take steps of faith so that others can walk through. So if you're a husband... If you're father, you take steps of faith for your family, so your family has a path to walk through. You know, in your workplace, you take a step of faith, and all of a sudden, that becomes a pathway 
for other believers to be able to walk through. We take steps of faith in our neighborhood. That becomes a pathway. And so it's a great example of spiritual leadership and stepping out into the things that God has called. Notice that the banks were overflowing. Now, maybe as you're listening to this message, there's some good reasons in your mind of why it's not a good time to step out in faith. You go, you know, I've really been feeling the call of God to get into the word of God more, but work's really busy. And I know I'm not going to have the time this week. I'm getting flooded at work. Or it's finals at school. This is not going to be a good week to, to get into the word of God. See, and what I've found in my life is God chooses the worst time from my perspective to challenge my faith. Agreed? And so there's no excuses here. There's no like, oh, it's just too, too difficult because nothing's too difficult for God. From man's perspective, they could have talked and said, hey, you know what? Let's just uh, come back when it's not flooded. I mean, we've been doing this wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. What's three more months? You know, nothing. Let's let the flood pass. But this was the time that God wanted to work. So don't let the obstacle keep you from the step of faith because that obstacle brings glory to God when he brings the victory. In verse 16, the waters which came down from upstream stood still. So no more water coming from upstream. And they rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So that the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So the Salt Sea is the Dead Sea. The Jordan River goes down into the Dead Sea. Let's take perspective from Jericho for just a moment. Here they are watching this take place with the Jordan. They're having a defining moment as well. But it's, oh no, we're in trouble, right? This isn't a normal nation that's coming against us. They have the one true living God who is among them. The last verse, the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Can you imagine? You're standing there for a long time in one spot with the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulder. I mean... If I stood just in one spot with good posture, what's hard for me to do? But if I did that for 40, 45 minutes as I'm teaching the word this morning, my feet would just hurt and kill, right? So here these guys are doing this for hours upon hours upon hours, and they stood firm. They stood firm there with the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders in the middle of the Jordan River. God's called you to take a step of faith. You stand firm in that step of faith till everybody's crossed over. Till the Lord says, okay, this work is done and this work is complete. We've got a choice to make this morning. We're at the water's edge. There's new territory for us to be able to step into because of what God has said in his word. So much that we haven't yet inherited. The question is, will we take the time to know what God is doing, get in his presence, and then follow him. Take steps of faith where he's called you to. Our missions pastor, Kent, was telling me about a young lady, and she's written a book, and her name's Katie. And she grew up in the South, and very affluent family, Christian family. And her parents had all the money saved up for her to go to college. But she had a surprise for her parents. She wasn't going to college. She was feeling called to Uganda. So she moves over to Uganda right out of high school. Maybe you're a high school student 
and you're wondering, hey, can God use my life? Absolutely. She decided to be over there for 10 months to teach kindergartners. And after those 10 months, she decided to live there permanently. By the time she's 21 years old in 2011, she'd adopted 14 little girls. She's mom to 14 little girls at age 21. And now she started a ministry that's impacting many, many people's lives. And in an interview, someone said to her, you know, you're so lucky that you found out what God called you to do. And she's had this big grin in her face. And she says, you know, I didn't find it. I read the Bible. And the Bible says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I figured myself likes to eat. And so I went over here to feed all of these kids and God did supernatural things. And I don't think God is calling everybody to Uganda. I'm sure he may be calling some. But for us, we get into God's word. We look at his great commandment. It sums everything up. Love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that we have, love him. Then love our neighbor as ourself. Who's your neighbor? Whoever God has placed next to you every moment of the day and say, okay, I'm gonna start loving them. I'm going to start loving them. I'm going to take steps of faith and I'm going to love them. And then God starts to do what only God can do. It's the God factor. He just takes the Jordan River and he deals with it. And you go, wow, the living God's among me. What a different week it would be this week if we took some steps of faith in line with the great commandment. What would Monday morning look like if we went in with the perspective of not, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, but... Monday morning, we head to the workplace in love with God, in the presence of God, and saying, how do I love my neighbor as myself? They're going through difficulty to listen, to pray, to share Christ. So much more to say, but I'm out of time. So let's, I'm going to say it anyway. It's the last service. It's <laughs> talking with a, a young man last week, and he's probably 25, 26 years old. We were talking about finances and budgeting and stuff. And he said, you know what? Every month I just take $50 out in cash and I just put it in my, in my wallet in faith that God is going to bring somebody into my, my life to share with. So I do that above my tithe and my offering because I, I want to live a life of faith. And he said, without fail, every month something happens. The other day I was at Subway and the lady in front of me left her wallet in the car. So I just told her, I got it and paid for her lunch. See, that's a simple thing, but yet it's an expensive thing. It's 50 bucks a month out of his budget. I mean, you could do Comcast with 50 bucks a month, right? <laughs> Think about the data plan you could get on your cell phone with 50 bucks a month. But he says, no, I'm going to set aside this money, not for myself, just to be able to reach out with someone to Jesus Christ. And it really doesn't matter if it's 50 bucks or five bucks or an hour or, but it's that step of faith. You know, your, your neighbor might be out, you know, doing something in their yard and you can tell they need help and you just step across the street and say, hey, can I help you? And begin to walk in those things that the Lord has for you. And we walk, get the privilege of seeing God work. Let's stand together and prepare our hearts for communion. Father,